0: Well, with 40 people in the room, it was really hard to, <laughs> to ever really um, fit that in at the right time. So those were my thoughts at the end of the class.
1: Well, and, and the thing that you really made me think about was in the sh- if you have the sheets from last week about overarching biblical principles and you want to take a look at that, I appreciate you sharing that, Terry. On the fourth point, it says that God's will for our lives is always consistent with a life of faith. And if you weren't here last week, and Rich has got these. If you
2: don't have you get plenty. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Anybody
1: else? So, I think that what Terry was saying is one of these key principles of knowing the will of God. Knowing the will of God is a life of faith. And if you look up uh, Romans chapter 14 and I, I believe it's about the 22nd or 23rd verse or so, it talks about that whatever is not done in faith is sin. Now, sin isn't a word that we like to talk about a lot, particularly sometimes in a lot of churches. We, we've gotten away from that word because we just want everybody to feel good, and we want everybody to, to feel like they've never had any problems. But the fact is the Scripture teaches us that when we are not... In the will of God, we are living a life that is not pleasing to Him, and that's what sin is a life that's not pleasing to God. So, if we want to know the will of God, we've got to live that life of faith that would keep us from sin, keeping us from displeasing Him. And it's an overarching biblical ethic this it has to be a faith. Let's just take one of the hot topics that has been around for the last 20, 30 years, and that's abortion. At the very least, at the very least, if someone cannot without a doubt approach abortion, Saying absolutely God says this is the right thing to do. It is absolutely biblical. I have no doubt that abortion is biblical. That's the only way that someone should head towards abortion. Because that isn't that is an act of faith. They know, they've studied the scripture, they've they've done all the getting all the counseling from from the spiritual uh, theologians and pastors. It's not something that it is to enter into, and I'm not saying that people that have abortions don't do that. Please don't hear that. But I think that this is is an overarching biblical concept about knowing the will of God, that it has to be an act of faith. And at the very least, what that does for us is slow us down as we begin to approach whatever this issue is, whatever this decision in life is, Knowing this will of God, either in an ethical situation, or a vocation, or a a marriage, or how we treat people. If we cannot do it with absolute faith that this is what God says in his word, then for us to go forward with that is sin. It is sin. It is displeasing to God. We have to have faith in order to be able to move forward. Now, that is one of these principles that we talked about last week, or we we handed out, we kind of referenced it a little bit last week. Of these seven principles, are, are there any that strike you that you'd like to discuss or talk about a little bit? Do I have to make you stand up and move to a side if you if you agree with them or are not
3: or not? <laughs> <laughs> think of the people. I I think of the people that have the, that studied this for centuries that argue over a, a passage and what it means, and to. To stand here, sit here today and say, well, yeah, now I know that's, that's my faith and that's the will. Um, it's, it's, it's not, it, it can't be, we, we can use it for the sake of this class so we can get through in 55 minutes. But, but to understand, oh, yeah, well, I've read about this and now I know what, what my faith should tell me. And, and this is what God's saying to me exactly here. Everyone's argued about it for centuries. How can I look at the scriptures and say, now, this is exact. Here's, it's a very personal thing, but but you're, we have, are you asking us to take that faith as just, okay, let's, let's, it's a personal thing, and you know when you got it, or you know when you don't. What are the top five ways to know you've got the, your, your, what you've read and what you, what you imagine in your head? The uh, snakes that climb through your brain at night, in the, you know, in midnights, when we talked last week. Um, you know, challenge you something fierce and the daylight comes and you're like, oh, I feel much calmer about this now. I bel- I, I'm calmer about my faith. There's, there's times that, that are challenging you that you can't be thinking straight. So, that's why I'm wondering, what, when you say faith,
1: what are we, what are we to, to use for a basis? Anybody resonate with that? There's a few people that resonate. Anybody want to comment on it? Well, we're,
4: looking, we're looking at a next fall and what is the will of God for whom will I vote and when I make that decision and I'm convinced beyond doubt that it is God's will for me to vote this way what kind of judgment is that putting upon my dear friend sitting next to me who is equally confident that the other guy is the right one and within the will of God
1: Terry did you want to say something too?
0: I, would, I remember being 24 years old, and I was at one of the forum series at Malone College where a man named Archie Penner was in debate with a man named R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul being um, the pastor, Presbyterian pastor at St. Andrew's Church in Florida, and Archie Be- Penner being a um, Malone teacher coming from the Anabaptist tradition— and infant baptism he was against, and, and they were theologically opposed in so many ways. And the thing that struck me at that young age was looking at these two guys thinking, I could follow each of these guys to the end of the earth, but listen to what they're saying. I mean, they loved each other, and they debated, and here they were Christians, definitely, but they were so opposed. And what that made, what that did for me as in my discipleship was, I thought, I guess I don't have to know the answer to those questions. I don't need to know the answer. I'm not going to know because, look, they knew. They each knew the answer, but I wasn't going to know those answers, and, what, and it opened up for me a place to figure out how to follow God in my own life and how to increase my faith, whatever that, that definition is, Glenn.
1: Anybody else want to comment? We, we are, I think we're bumping our heads on some things and, and I like the historical perspective that there are thousands of years, but I also think that it's the thousands of years gives us much more today than they had in the first century because we have had time to think it through and people have added to what people started on this belief system, and they've added and added and added. Um, I mean, if you, if you will, on that first point, we must know God's word to know God's will. Now, turn to the first chapter of Acts, if you would. And I think you're aware that Christ has been crucified, dead, buried, we say that a few times a week, don't we, Pastor? And and now he has risen, and now he has ascended. He's in heaven. And we're going we're gonna to look at verses, starting at verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. Now, he had said to them that they were to stay in Jerusalem until they had received power. These 12, and some of the additional, like there were 70 at one point sent out two by two, and there was these others that began to come to Jesus, they didn't have the whole New Testament. They didn't really even have a lot of the Old Testament that they were privy to, because we we take this what we hold in our hands very casually. Yeah, I have a Bible. Did you read it? No, but I saw the movie. You know, it, it's like we don't read the Bible. We don't appreciate it as much, and they didn't have that, and so they've got to try to figure out what to do without ever having what we have today. How much more difficult was that? And what he said to them was, stay in Jerusalem until you have received this power. And I'm not dismissing these issues about that we've got some things that are troubling, but what I see in this passage, what I see in the passage that is listed in Romans 14, that we, if, if we cannot act in faith, we should not move forward. We have to know that this is absolutely what God wants us to do. And Pastor, I don't know how that impacts future story, you know, what, where we're going, but I think there's, there has been a year or so of waiting to see how the Holy Spirit's gonna move us as a congregation. So that when we do move forward, it can be of faith. Now this may sound... This may sound uh, horrible to you, Glenn, and others. But I firmly believe that in the Christian ethic, and the Christian morality, there is no gray area. It is a black and white. It is either sinful to kill somebody or not kill somebody. It's not kind of like, oh, well, okay, maybe, maybe not. You know, it, It's good if you do it, but it's not okay for me to do it. No, there's no gray area. Now, there may be some, what we would perceive as gray areas, where we get to have some choice in the matter. Let me try to help you with that. Thou shalt honor the Lord's day, the Sabbath day. Thou shalt keep it holy. There's no black and white there. We must keep it holy. It's one of the Ten Commandments how we keep it holy there is some personal choice there that may be what we say we describe as being a gray area but there's no doubt that we have to honor the day and it is a full day it's just not the lord's hour or two i went to church on that day it's not the lord's hour it's the lord's day how you and i approach the lord's day the sabbath day sabbath is the old testament rendering lord's day is a new testament fulfillment of that there is some latitude there what do i mean i hope that when i have the big one that the heart surgeon is ready to go on the lord's day but other than that i shouldn't make him or her work on the lord's day so for The surgeon and the police and and the person who has to milk the cow Think about the poor cows that don't get milk for a day there. We got major problems there There has there are some things that are biblically Mandated but those of us that aren't farmers or aren't surgeons or police We probably shouldn't be working on Sunday and so there is some of this that is maybe seen as gray when it's really Where God has called us to and and how we are moving into these areas But we have no doubt that to honor the Lord's Day is a commandment and we must do it Now that let me just stop there you have reactions to what I've said so far We've got the mic right here Mm -hmm. we need I'm uh, thinking about
5: the way we may profess what we believe to be a a matter of God's righteous law, and what we are willing to salute as, yes, this is God's righteous law. But at the same time, we make decisions in our human state of sin every day and that's the state in which we live that's the state in which the Apostle Paul lived when he declared why is it he asked why is it that I do what I know I shouldn't do and I don't do what I know I should do Now he doesn't go on and describe the personal demons that he lived with that brought him to cry out that petition but that's the state that we live in so even if the world was somehow converted to such a state of faith that all persons would declare that there is no faithful justification for something like abortion abortion would still take place because we humans live in a state of sin I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and we studied his life a little over a year ago and he was involved in a plot to kill Hitler. Uh, Hitler was not universally hated when Bonhoeffer and his small cohort of of co-conspirators devised that plan. Bonhoeffer probably would have said, uh, said as a matter of faith i would accept that that murder is is prohibited and yet somehow he and his cohorts decided that it was a, a an appropriate response to the situation at hand even so, a christian response even well he he convinced himself it was a christian response so i think the way we humans have to order our lives we struggle with what we would call gray areas. And, and all of our sinful selves, whether they be sins of omission or commission, we, we're, we end up in the, in the same place. I, could, I may salute certain faithful principles and then set out on that very same day and violate some of those principles because I, that's the state of sin that I live in. So I'm not sure how useful it is for us to take the dogmatic side of these questions. It doesn't inform my faith very well to to take that as, as my approach. I'd, I'd rather take the approach of The state of of grace that I can achieve despite my state of
1: sin I I think there's some excellent points there I would respond in one sense that that Paul says very clearly well because I have grace then I should just go on sinning and he says of course not and I don't and I'm not hearing you say that but I think that there's a couple things that I want to communicate and I, I think we've got another one ready to go there One is, here's uh, here's a principle that I find very helpful when it comes to these ethical kind of dilemmas and as we begin to posit what we think and believe. Know your mind, but don't have your mind made up. And what I mean by that is, is that I fully, very strongly believe a lot of things that I believe. Why not everything? Because there's still some things I'm not sure about. But the things that I definitely have thought through and I've researched the scripture and I've talked to people, I believe them. I know my mind. But I need to be open to other people giving me more information, giving me more spiritual insight, and for the scripture itself to do that very same thing. Martin Luther, remember his, he's brought in and said, did you write these things? Will you recant? And he said, can I have 24 hours? Now this, he spent his whole life, he wrote all these things much to his own loss and expense to write all these things. And now that he's really being confronted to say, will you recant? And if he wouldn't, he was gonna, they were gonna put him to death. And he took the 24 hours, and the next day, he comes up. And they could, he, he, he whispered, he could, they could barely hear him, speak up, Brother Martin. And in the movies, you know, he's up there, and he's railing and punching his fist in the air and all that kind of stuff. But in reality, he was more, here I stand. Unless someone can convince me by Holy Scripture or by evident reason, here I stand. I can do no other. God, help me. Very quiet, very confident, but also very humble, saying, if somebody can show me, by evident reason, if somebody can show me through the Holy Scripture, I'm willing to change my mind. I think that's where we should all be. I think we should all have that, and that is based upon a sense of we believe what god believes about sin and that is that it is horrendous and yet we want to run ahead and just say it's not that big a deal I, i'm and i'm this is not what you're saying i'm not trying to do an ad hominem an argument here i'm trying to attack the argument a little bit or at least further the argument not attack you because i don't hear you saying this i'm just going to sin and god's going to sort it out because because we're i'm in a fallen nature no i don't think that's what is called of us to do we've got to research these things we've got to get into the scripture we've got to really find out what does god want for us because we have to believe that displeasing god is the most horrible thing we can do but i don't think we see that i don't think we care about sin and displeasing god in our society like we once did Yes, I'm fallen, I'm not gonna make the right decision a lot of times, but that doesn't excuse me. Isn't that right, Jack? There's no, ignorance of the law is no excuse, or, or um, you know, there, we have to really take this seriously as God did.
6: Well, you kind of got me lost here for a second, but I, I would go back to
1: people uh, lost. I'm sorry.
6: I would go back to Jim uh, and Bonhoeffer. I certainly agree with taking Hitler out, or Mussolini, or Stalin, or somebody like that, because they really are against God and God's people, and so I have no problems with that. I also have no problem with taking somebody out that's breaking into my house. The Bible gives me permission to do that in the Old Testament. I don't remember where it is. And so I have have no problem with uh, killing in a given situation. When I was in the military, absolutely. Uh, Those are our enemies and we have to fight for what our country is doing and I'll shoot them take them out that's what you're supposed to do as a soldier now let's let's go back to the current culture one of the things that really bugs me is soccer i think all soccer coaches have to be heathen not only do they have soccer all afternoon on sunday but they have it in the morning now so we've got a couple of kids that we want to be in sunday school and church and they're playing soccer what do we do with that
2: It's not just soccer, by the way.
1: Oh, no. But there are more people, there are more children in Stark County, Ohio, playing soccer, just soccer on a Sunday morning that are in Sunday school. And that's what's really sad. And I'll tell you what, one of the things that has greatly, greatly disturbed me is all of these Sunday high school basketball games that have occurred about five, started about five years ago. And I remember sitting in this very room, didn't look like this, but I remember sitting in this very room and Dick Barnard said to us, when the Canton City schools were going to start practicing on Wednesday afternoons, not Wednesday evening, but Wednesday afternoons, all the city schools were going to do that. And all, to all the youth ministers in the community said, we need to rise up and we need to go to the school very gently and very politely, but say to them, this is a church night and we cannot give this up. And the school board said, and the coaches said, well, we're, we're going to let them out by 5 o'clock. They can get out and they can. And he said, mark my word. It'll be Sunday night next. It'll be Sunday afternoon. It'll be Sunday morning, and if we give way on this, and we thought he was nuts, well, as we all know, he's pretty wise on this stuff. And now we have this, and we've even got Christian schools now playing on Sunday in these tournaments. And they're probably even going shopping. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> as
4: to
1: me, I think shopping Walmart. And and. and, and on Sunday. And going out to eat and buying gas and all kinds of stuff. Exactly. Yes, it did. I should have
6: done my own finish with my own confession. I'm going to, my own con. I should have finished with my own confession. I'm gonna watch pro football this afternoon. I don't know how God is going to approve of that or not. So I'm gonna ask Him for forgiveness in church today
1: already. You have. You have to go to the Scripture and figure out how you're supposed to spend the Lord's Day. And if that includes watching football, then if you can do it in faith, it's of faith. There's nothing in the Scripture that says you can't watch football on Sunday. Maybe playing it or refereeing it, maybe. But, pardon me? But scripture does say don't touch pigskins. <laughs> pig there's, there's one right there.
4: I'm just struggling with your we're all in agreement that scripture is the foundation but I've seen it used in so many ways and the question that keeps coming through my mind is can you know God you know it was said I forget by in a previous class which is so true you can have all the knowledge in the world you can be book smart Uh, You can know the Bible, but do you really know God? And can you really know God's will if you don't know God? And is it important to first have the foundation of asking for God's and the Spirit to be in you? Because that's what I thought you were talking about earlier when you said they have to stay in Jerusalem. It's a matter of studying, but it's also a matter of accepting God in your life and the Holy Spirit in your life. And if you start with that foundation, I think you're much better off than starting with just trying to know the word and pick out a passage
1: that supports your inclination. It's a brilliant insight that you have for us. Most of my brilliance isn't mine either, but... uh, we're going we're gonna to grab the brilliance where we see it. We believe firmly that the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures to be written. They're without error. They, they inform us about life. They inform us about our, our walk with Jesus. They inform us about all kinds of things. It's not a science book, it's not a math book, but everything in it is true. And yet, that same Holy Spirit that inspired it in its writing and in its obvious recognition that it was Scripture and in its continued preservation all through the centuries, that same Holy Spirit needs to come today and inspire us in the reading, the thinking, the meditation. This is why there's a prayer in this service almost every week for illumination. Because it doesn't matter if it was inspired when it was written, if it's not inspired in its reading and meditation in our own hearts. And if we can get to that sense of it, we're going to know it better. And maybe the question for some of us is, have we solidified that relationship with Jesus Christ? Are we truly a redeemed person? Have we entered into that personal relationship with Jesus Christ? If the scripture doesn't make sense to us, it may be because we've never made sure in our own heart that we know the author of the the scripture and are being empowered by that author. And so maybe there's someone sitting in the sound of my voice here that hasn't made that relationship with Christ firm. And if not, let's talk about that. But that's the starting point. And I think that's what you're saying is that we have to have that empowerment from the Holy Spirit to even understand it. And then your comment, we're we're trying to find a verse to prove what we want to believe. And that's not biblical at all. That's called eisegesis, meaning I'm going to put into the scripture what I want it to say. As opposed to exegesis, what does the scripture say to me? That I'm trying to be the master of the Scripture rather than let the Scripture master me. And that's the problem, I think, for most of us. It is for me that I want the Bible to tell me what I want it to tell me rather than what God is trying to tell me. That's why we have to go with an open heart, Holy Spirit, teach me, mold me, and that we have to go with a humble spirit, not a haughty spirit. And, and that's where even preaching and teaching is so important, and I appreciate our pastors here all through the years, and many others, the, th- the three-point sermon isn't just not three things that Dave thinks is, is good. The three-point sermon is, study the scripture. What does the scripture say to us? Declare the doctrine, what do we believe as a result of what the scripture says? And make the application, apply the principles. How do I then live? That's the traditional three-point sermon. And you have an intro and a closing and, and a few other little things here and there. But that's the guts of it. And, and when we sincerely seek after Jesus Christ with all of our heart, mind, soul, and spirit, that's when these things are going to start to come real to us. That's why on these principles you see that we have to have this relationship. We have to be in a relationship with Jesus. Come and follow me, he says. That's how we know the will of God coming and knowing Him, coming and following Him, has a lot to do with Bible study. And I don't know that we do that very well. I don't do it as well as I should.
0: The um, reading this morning in 1 Samuel, Pete and I study each week, we read every morning the scriptures for the following Sunday. And as we were reading in 1 Samuel, what hit us the most about this whole section in Samuel about Samuel being called and first he thought it was Eli and he kept going back to Eli and Eli says no go back to bed you know it wasn't me it's the Lord and the the verse that pops out says but Samuel did not yet know the Lord because the Lord had not yet revealed himself to him the Lord had not yet revealed himself to him and so that is really what you're saying greg how will god reveal himself to us and we need to pray for that to happen we need to pray for each other for god to draw us closer and to be revealed to us because it's up to god to reveal himself to us
1: and notice what eli's response when samuel came and said okay samuel what did god say to you yeah he he says, you better tell oh he said well you've got your time's limited and Eli said this is the word of God and Eli's heart was very even though it was a condemnation of him he was still trying at that point to seek Christ and I think that's a model for us even when we hear things we don't want to hear. The other sheet that I handed out about the hermeneutics may help us on this. It's hot. Hermeneutics comes from the Greek god Hermes and he was the, the little dude that flew around to all the other gods, to Zeus and to Era and all that group, and he was, Zeus would say, go tell this person or tell that god, and he would fly over and tell them, and then, and then they'd fly back, and he was the messenger god. He was the god that interpreted the god's messages back and forth, and so in Christianity, hermeneutics has come to mean how do we interpret the message of God? Now, if you have that sheet in front of you, you begin to see that these are some classical ways, going back to Glenn's original point, of how do we actually know some of this stuff? And it is, when you look at these sheets, you'll begin to understand them pretty clearly. I don't have one, Rich, either, so I just, but if you look at these things, we, do, we, we interpret the scripture, rule number um, one, by the literary genre. And, you know, when when the the great Scottish bard, Robbie Burns said, my love is like a red, red rose. Is this love a red rose? No, but it's a symbol. And so, you you can see it's a metaphor. And so, in the Psalms, when it says that the hills clapped their hands, that doesn't mean that they literally grew arms and started to clap. It's personification. We have to understand some of these basic concepts. Um, When Balaam's donkey begins to speak, that's a narrative. It's not poetry, it's not a poem, it's not any metaphor. The donkey actually spoke at that point. It's, It's different than those things that might be more poetic or more metaphorical. And so we need to make sure that the scripture is interpreted by the literary genre, that it is. Interpret the implicit by the explicit. You remember the passage where Jesus says, we, you will have the poor with you always? And what she has done will be remembered, and she's celebrated, she's given me this gift. You know, she came in and washed his feet and had the expensive ointment probably almost a life savings worth of, of ointment. And the explicit message in that passage that Jesus was teaching was not about poverty and having no concern for the poor. His explicit message was celebrate. Even to a grandiose level, celebrate Largely, there are times in which we need to do that, even if it's expensive. That was his explicit message. Now, did he really mean that thing about the poor? Well, then we have to go to other scriptures, and this is part of how we interpret the scripture. If if you go up to those first two principles at the top of the page, we have to allow scripture to interpret scripture. Meaning, what do all the rest of the scriptures about poverty have to say about this one particular scripture? It's very clear that we are to create peace and justice. We are to create systems that will bring about justice. And that ends the long-term issues of poverty. And we also need to take care of the temporary cause or the temporary result of poverty. The scripture is overwhelming about taking care of the poor. This one simple words out of passage of words of Jesus cannot be interpreted, we don't need to care about the poor. And we understand that by this rule number two, interpreting the implicit by the explicit. Number three, the obscure by the clear and the narrative by the didactic, meaning that there's a, a narrative that tells the story as opposed to a thou shalt. Uh, let me give you this one just to help you understand that one. Jesus is walking on the water. The disciples are scared out of their wits. And then Peter says, you know, what, whatever you do, tell me to come on walk on the water with you. And we can look at that and we can say, we know that the Scripture says that we are to do everything that Jesus did. He's to be our model, so we should walk on the water. No, it's a narrative. There's no commandment for us to go walk on the water. But there was one that was told to walk on the water, and that was Peter. And he got out of the boat and walked on the water. And so the narrative should always be interpreted by the thou shalt do this. Does that make sense to you? Is is that helpful? Cuz we can get a lot of crazy things how we interpret the scripture by saying, well, this is what happened in this narrative. You need to say something. So, when we look at these passages, we need to keep these biblical interpretations in front of us. What did the definition mean at the chronological time it was written, rule five, on that second sheet? Let me, let me give you an example. If, if I was to say to you, my wife and I had a great time this last weekend, we had a gay old time, and it was 1890s, you would think about croquet and one-wheeled bikes and that kind of stuff. But if I said it in the 1990s, it, was, it had a completely different connotation. What did the word mean when the time that it was written? Not what it means to us today. These are things that can help us with our interpretation. Obviously in the context. and In its context and also the other scriptures that are in context that can help us understand it. The biblical a priori is a huge one. Rule number eight. And this means going back to the explicit and implicit, if there's one verse that seems to be in stark contrast to everything else in the scripture, we have to go to a different level of interpretation. We have to begin to say that one verse cannot overcome the whole scripture. Isaiah 45 very clearly states that God creates evil. This is a didactic statement, which we need to deal with. Well, we deal with it by letting Scripture interpret itself. The overwhelming majority, the overarching biblical a priori, is that God does not. And so we need to, we can get a handle then as we begin to look at these individual verses. Now, I don't expect this to be something that is going to be naturally. You're going to go home today and be an excellent Bible uh, interpreter because it's practice. You have to practice. And I think that Dave and Wendy are going to say to us, my goodness, I've been trying to, for our sermons and our teachings, it's constant, isn't it? I don't, hey, Wendy, do you guys want to say anything about this?
7: You th- oh I'm sorry. Um, i 'm sorry i I, wanted, I was saying that you know we can 't take the bible isn 't meant to be taken literally and you 're showing us that how we have to look at all aspects of it and that um, and it is discipline and um, and there are good resources out there um, for you to use to help you and we have some in our library you know that, that Dave and I use um, But it it is a challenge. It just humbles me again as (laughs) as we're going over this. Oh my gosh, what it takes! But anyway, um, this show helps us to see that things aren't so black and white as we are getting from a lot of you know other churches—an easy answer um, to everything—and it isn't. And we need to. And I would just encourage all of us to, when you open up your Bible to read, is to say, "Come, Holy Spirit, come." guide my thoughts, God, help me to understand um, what you want to say to me. And that's part of what we pray. I loved that you said about the prayer for illumination and how important that is, mm-hmm. that we want the Holy Spirit to be working among us and opening our minds and hearts. That's all I have to say. Dave, do you have something else to say?
1: I think you want to say something. You look like you want to say something. No. no. Okay. I knew. I knew he did.
2: Never give a minister a microphone. No, I, that's exactly it. That that we live in a world in which um, we mistake simplicity for a laziness and ease. Um, scripture takes intelligence and intentionality to engage. It is it is simple in the sense that the message is good news, is, is very clear, but the life it calls us to is one that is continuously refined uh, as iron on iron. And um, so even biblical study is a process. Uh, and, and learning to engage scripture in, in healthy ways with healthy tools is the only way to go about it.
1: And these, so In that original paper we were looking at, the first two, how do we know the will of God, comes by knowing God's word, number one. And then the second one is that God's will for our lives will not contradict what he's already put into Scripture. It goes back to that we have to know the Scripture. That means we have to take time and schedule time and be committed to time of Bible study. That is... The Christian life. And you say, I don't have time for that. Well, we'll go back to that Lord's day. God gave you a whole day. I don't have enough time to pray. Well, you have a whole day. I don't have enough time to read the scripture, you have a whole day. The whole day is supposed to be spent around those concepts. At the very least, we have a whole day. Okay, Jerry, you can take an hour out for a football game. But you still got but you still got a few other hours in the day. And you don't only have to study the Scripture on the Lord's Day. Obviously, there are other times. Now, let's go back to this interpretation and look at rule number 10. I think it should be on your third page. The biblical hierarchy. The apodictic or the didactic, these are the very clear commands. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. The casuistic, which is case law. And then the general wisdom, and then the custom. That's that's go back to what a couple of you had talked about um, Bonhoeffer killing or Jerry talking about someone breaks into his house um, the Ten Commandments says thou shalt not murder it's not just not thou shalt not kill it's thou shalt not murder it's very clear very concise And it is, without a doubt, absolute. But now, is abortion killing? Is warfare, murder rather? Is it murder and warfare? Is it capital punishment, murder? Is it murder to stop somebody from killing my wife and children or myself if they break into my house? Well... The commandment doesn't tell us that, does it? It doesn't answer that. And so we have to go to the next level, the casuistic, meaning case law. And some of you that are lawyers here can help us understand this a little bit more, but we go by precedent. We, we, there's, a, there's a sense of which, if this, then that. And so Leviticus has got a lot of this. If this happens, then you do this. If one person's ox gores somebody's, whatever other animal. Yeah. Then, if this happens, then this is what you do. How many have an ox? <laughs> I, I've known a couple people, and I actually owned a donkey once. <laughs> now, if that happens, then it says you do thus, thus, and thus. Well, since we don't have oxen, donkeys anymore, but we do have cats and dogs, and if my dog eats Terry's cat, that's a good thing, and I've alienated all cat lovers in a room. But, by that biblical principle, I need to restore and make restitution, and I need to do certain things, because my dog ate her cat. You see how that happens? Case law would give us some sort of an answer, even though it's not specifically written, in the Bible that if a cat is eaten by a dog, this is what you do. So the case law is helping us to understand, and so now, is kill, killing someone in the military, is that, is that murder? Maybe, maybe not. We have to go to those case laws, and we have to go to some of those other things that are helping us and then let's say we get down to even this that's used, the abortion, because there's nothing in the Scripture that says thou shalt not commit abortion. We have to start to get to some general wisdoms. When there's not even a case law about it, we have to get to some general wisdoms. And what would the Bible say about the issue of abortion in terms of general wisdom? Well, there's a whole lot about life, protecting life, there's a whole lot about protecting those who will be killed by someone else. There's a lot of laws that we, or general truths and wisdom in the Bible that will help us with these. Same thing with capital punishment. Although there are some case laws about capital punishment in the, in the Bible that, are, that help us. And we need to then take this biblical hierarchy to help us make these decisions for God's will in our life. And if one, if, if it's very clear at the top of the heap, thou shalt, thou shalt not, fine. If it needs more definition, let's go to case law, let's go to general wisdom, and then cultural things are very important as well. Um, because of, again, out of Romans 14 and other passages, that there are certain situations in which one thing is very horrible in one culture it's okay in another culture. Alcohol, for instance, that's, that's one of the things that in some cultures, in Christian cultures, it's, it's anathema. In others, it's very accepted. Well, what do you do when you have two different people coming from those two different perspectives? There needs to be some, some grace and there needs to be some non-demanding of my own, this goes back to last week, my own rights, but I want to try to be sensitive to certain people. And certain cultures because that's a biblical a priori okay let's stop there on the hierarchy questions go ahead
6: I want to say something to, uh, being a physician I want to say something to uh, the abortion issue w- when I was a student and a an intern uh, it, the the concept of abortion was I mean I was entirely in favor of it because it was you had to have the doctor psychiatrist and they had to agree with that that was the best thing for psychological reasons and they had to agree that the mother's life was in danger I was perfectly f- fine with that but by the time I was out in practice of course I don't do OBGYN but by the time I got out in practice the the Roe versus Wade and so forth came and I'm very much against that but at that time, I, I was perfectly,
1: uh, and I thought it was a Christian thing,
6: the abortion, for those two reasons.
1: Yeah, and, and we can, that's a whole other series on abortion that we can do, and we can look at it specifically. But I, I think what you're indicating is that there was a, a shift in the culture. Exactly. And what's, in my opinion, is very sad is that the church is no longer the cu- culture shaper. It is following the culture. Let me give you an example of that historically. A hundred years before slavery in America was banned, there was no Quaker in America that held a slave. They were the leading abolitionists. Brother Woolman walked up and down the eastern seaboard and, and any Quaker that had a, a slave he would say, that's, in and, and my statement, there may have been a couple that did, but by and large, they had left that because he went and sat down and said, brother, sister, let me talk to you about the scripture and about this. A hundred years before this, the culture shifted, the church was shaping the culture. It's different than when the culture has already moved here, and then the church comes along afterwards and says, oh yeah, we should do that too. There's a huge difference there. Go How ahead. Away from it, 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 someone mentioned it's a slippery slope, isn't it? It's when we stop taking the Bible seriously, out of a good heart. We don't want to offend people. We don't want to be really divisive. We want to be loving. Those are all biblical concepts, but we've gone too far the other way to understand that sometimes... The best love is tough love. It's still love, and we need to administer it in a loving way. But we, I think we've shifted because we've gotten away from Scripture, quite honestly. And we're not willing to pay the cost. Like, we're not willing to not watch that football game this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs>
3: God in a, um, in a group that would plan to bomb or stop or kill an abortion doctor because God was speaking to them and an eye for an eye. and mm-hmm. So there's the will of God working through someone. They believe it so much in their heart. That they are willing to sacrifice themselves, be martyrs, whatever. So here's one case and there's hundreds of them, but that, that particular thing where they believe that they're doing the right thing and they can study the scripture and they can go through it and God in in their minds is talking to them. And and from my seat, I could say, well, he's not, but he was. So there we, and and we're in a court of law at that point then because the guys, everybody knows who he is.
1: And that really is the Bonhoeffer issue. And Bonhoeffer came out and said, not to kill Hitler is sinful because I'm allowing him to kill millions of people to kill him is probably murder and that's not commanded in the scripture and remember he basically said I have if I'm going to sin I have to sin boldly meaning not that we relish in it not yeah I get to go out and have a high old time on the town tonight but this is so devastating that I have to come to this conclusion I have to do this but I must do it And that I can only say needs to be like what I think Bonhoeffer did and that was he spent a long time in prayer and meditation making sure that his heart was right making sure that it it was biblically defensible Um, our time is up we need to go and I I just want to close by saying I appreciate everyone and please understand that anything that I've said or I'm i helping us try to think through. I'm not trying to, to to be mean-spirited. I'm not trying to condemn anybody, but I'm trying to help us think about these things. And I'm trying to encourage us that if we want to know the will of God, we've got to know His Word. We've got to know Him. We've got to be in relationship with Him. And maybe some of these things will help us as we start to study Scripture together. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your Scripture. As Terry prayed to begin with, we thank You for ask, answering those prayers We pray that you'd continue to move in us, help us to want to to love you more and to love your scripture more. Give us an insatiable desire for your word that can never be completely satisfied. Go with each of us now, this day. We pray for the pastors and those that will lead us in worship, that we could truly have a Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-filled worship just now.